hear from the top, every detail. I think the best way to tell the story is by starting at the end, briefly, then going back to the beginning, and then periodically returning to the end, maybe giving different characters perspectives throughout, just to get a good bit of dynamism. Otherwise, it's just sort of a linear story. Just yeah. tell us what happened. One thousand rings. One thousand rings. One thousand Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's a it's a tough uh, it's a tough story. I don't. I mean, it's not tragic or anything, but uh, gosh, it's been si- since September since we've done this, and uh, I I can't, I can't possibly go into everything that's delayed and you know <laughs> it just wouldn't. I don't have enough time, but let's suffice to say, uh, it's going to be hard to do this podcast during the football season because I watch so much football. And even though I'm not, you know, coaching anymore, it still takes up a lot of time. Um, and then we had, we had house renovations. That was a thing I was going to do. I wanted to do an episode while they were on the roof, so you you know you could hear them banging around on the roof. I thought that would have been fun. You know, maybe somebody falls through the roof. That becomes classic radio. Yeah, yeah but didn't happen. Uh, everybody got sick. I got sick for the first time in years. Um, so all throughout the you know the the holiday break when I plan to do, uh, I plan to do a bunch of episodes. We had. We had house guests. We had, you know, like I said, renovations. We had, um, I don't know, just one thing after another. And then, uh, you know, uh, what are you going to do? So, but we're here now. That's the thing. And I appreciate everyone stopping in and listening. And um, if you haven't rated the show five stars, please do. Please subscribe, follow, I guess, on pod, on Spotify. And um, I'm not gonna. I'm. I. I was gonna work on a trailer, you know, to replace our explainer for episode 15, but just tiny bit of bit of nutshell. We're working on the greatest playlist of all time, top 1,000 playlist. It's on Spotify. The list itself is on Spotify. A thousand songs. I've been living with it, you know, pretty much since September. Well, I guess I probably finished it sometime in December, you know, putting all the songs into the Spotify playlist. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's holding up. There, There's definitely going to be some changes. There will be some uh, uh, definite um, replacements. Uh, and, you know, that's the pro- you know, that's the process we've been going through. I, I, I stopped doing the, you know, kicking songs off the list thing a while back just because it's it's taking up too much time, but, um, you know, once we get through all the song battles, uh, that's, that's where we're going. We're going to start kicking stuff off and, and putting some new stuff on, but for the most part, it's holding up. I, when I, when I turn it on, when I, you know, put on my playlist, driving or whatever, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty good. (laughs) You know, I don't, I usually don't skip anything. So, um, so it's working out like I kind of hoped. Um, so we're going to start off with some recommends, uh, just some unscripted recommends here. I watched a movie that I remember that came out when I was a kid, 
uh, called Krull, and it looks stupid. I did. I, we didn't. Go, I don't know why we didn't go see it because we went to see stupid stuff all the time just because we were bored. Uh, but um, you know, it, it. It. I mean, by today's standards, it is stupid. But I found myself enjoying it quite a bit. It was. It was pretty well made for for back in the day, and you could. I mean, if Peter Jackson didn't steal a lot from that movie visually, I'd be really surprised because there was a lot of a lot of stuff in it that reminds me of the Lord of the Rings. Uh, so if you, you know, if you like that kind of thing, that kind of fantasy, um, you know, movie kind of in the same vein as maybe Labyrinth or, uh, or Time Bandits, that kind of early eighties, you know, stuff that doesn't hold up, but it holds up better than you would think. Um, so I, I enjoyed it. I just kind of watched it on a whim because we, you know, fell into a little bit of a show hole. Yeah, another thing that delayed, you know, getting back to the podcast is my wife and I finally broke down and and watched uh, The Big Bang Theory all the way through 12 seasons. Good gracious. Um, but uh, we enjoyed that a lot more than I thought I would. I hated I hated the Sheldon character. Couldn't stand him when I, what little I've seen of him. Um, but we started watching the current series that's out called young shield and, and it was it was good now if you're a uh if you're a christian um you're going to be extremely annoyed at both young children and big bang theory because you know there's a lot of pot shots at at believers and that kind of thing but they're really weak they're like they're limp noodle you know kind of pot shots uh so if you've you know especially if you've been to college you're going to you're not going to be challenged whatsoever. It's 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 basically little precocious kid level, you know, pot shots at uh, at at religion, really. Um, so anyway, but if you know that kind of thing bugs you, you know, I, I I totally understand. Like I I had to stop listening to one of my favorite podcasts, uh, to be honest with you, because just the as much as I love the guy and much as I love the the you know the information and the entertainment you know once you start blaspheming jesus and maybe you don't think you are but you you are when you you start pulling jesus down into the gutter you know that's that's uh you know you can say what you want about televangelists and you know preachers and stuff but there's absolutely no reason to bring jesus in, into it you know um so anyway that's a. I, I'm not gonna name the podcast because I don't want to want to get into that kind of thing. But um, but I, I understand when when people don't don't like to hear you know religion take taking fire like that. Uh, but it, it's such like I said, it's it's so uh, weak, <laughs> and I wouldn't even worry about it. I have a huge recommend that I kind of wrote up a little bit here. Um, a movie called The Iron Claw. If you grew up watching. Professional wrestling in the 70s and 80s, you already know about the Von Erich family. Their stories told in detail in a series on Hulu called The Dark Side of the Ring. And it is dark. There's a lot of lot of darkness in, in pro wrestling and, and probably nothing darker than the, the story of the Von Erich family. Um, and it, it, even that's darker than the movie, believe it or not. Uh, they had to leave out one of the tragic suicides of the fi- in the film. They, they left it out. 
because the the writers felt that it would just be you know too much um for those of you who are unfamiliar with the von erichs they're a family of pro wrestlers starting with the dad fritz von erich established himself as one of the all-time great heels bad guys of the 50s and 60s his sons kevin david carey mike and chris follow him into the ring all but kevin and david uh die of suicide David dies of a ring injury in Japan. He's, his death is kind of what um, sets it off. Uh, they also had an older brother who died as a young boy in a tragic camping electrocution. Uh, wild. The filmmakers decided to leave Chris Von Erich's suicide out of the movie uh, because, yikes. Uh, it's an extremely well-made and com- competently acted movie starring Hulk face Zach Efron as Kevin and the That Guy's Everywhere All at Once right now, Jeremy Allen White as Carrie Von Eric, uh, with a final scene that I won't spoil for you, but I will warn you that it was probably developed by MKUltra or some such organization that knows how to make grown men cry. And I'm getting misty thinking about it, so let's move on. Lest you assume Kevin Von Eric moved on from the wrestling business. He didn't. His kids got into it, as did Carrie's. Carrie's daughter went on to be a Hall of Famer herself. And since this is a music show, it bears mentioning that my first introduction to Rush, uh, to the band Rush, and specifically their song Tom Sawyer, was from watching the Von Erichs enter arenas to it. And my memory was mostly associated with with Carrie Von Erich. To me, he was the modern-day... And I think they used that nickname. I want to say they called him the modern-day warrior. But he was Tom Sawyer to me. You know, he was a huge, roided-out, Andy Gibb-looking Tom Sawyer. And I was in the bathroom when they played the song in the movie. Tragedy. All right, let's get straight into our song notes. Starting with... Don't Go Breaking My Heart by Elton John, featuring Kiki D. 1976, it was uh, from the, uh, well, I don't know what album it's from. <laughs> I, I'm looking at my my notes, and I don't see the album. But it, it did go number one. Uh, it was a, ri- a duet written by uh, Elton John with Bernie Taupin under the pseudonyms Ann Orson and Carte Blanc, respectively, as a a tribute to Motown's style of Marvin Gaye, Tammy Terrell, and Kim Weston. John and Toppin originally intended to record the song with Dusty Springfield, but ultimately withdrew the offer uh, due to an illness. It was never included on an original album, hence the lack of album in my show notes. Uh, but uh, John did perform it with Miss Piggy on The Muppet Show in 1977. Kiki D was the first white British artist to be signed to Motown, releasing her first Motown single in 1970.
superstar you know Someone I Used to Know by Zach Brown, 2019. The fourth uh, track on the album, The Owl. Zach Brown's and his band's sixth studio album. The album will go to number two, uh, and the single will go to number 23 on the Hot Country charts. Uh, it was written by Zach Brown, Nico Moon, Ben Simonetti, Andrew Watt, Sean Mendez and produced by Andrew Watt and Happy Perez. The music video was uploaded on December 21st, 2018, directed by Philip R. Lopez. The video tells the story of a high school football star who enlists, goes to war, and returns with post traumatic stress disorder. Black Sabbath from 1970, sixth track on their second studio album, Paranoid. The album will go to number 12. The song was conceived after the band had observed a growing number of U.S. soldiers arriving in England from the Vietnam War in the late 60s with severe drug addictions. The song paints an unflattering picture of hard drug use. The lyrics were written by Geezer Butler, while the music is credited to the entire band. Speaking of bombs, Cherry Bomb by John Mellencamp. 1987, the fifth track on his ninth studio album, Lonesome Jubilee. The single went to number eight, and the album went to number six. A nostalgic song that reflects on Mellencamp's teenage years hanging out at the, at the last exit teen club. Features Mellencamp background singer Crystal Talaferro and band members Toby Myers and Mike Wanchik in addition to Mellencamp in the second verse. Mellencamp told GQ Magazine in 2022 that what inspired him to have voices other than his own take turns singing lead. Sly and the Family Stone. He had all those hit records when I was in junior high and I love the fact that all of a sudden there's a female voice, then a male voice. Country Boy by Leonard Skinner, 1975, the fourth track on their third studio album, Nothing Fancy. The album will go to number nine. It was the first Skinner album to crack the top ten, and the fifth and the yeah the first album, sorry, with drummer Artemis Pyle. 
uh, one of several. Like I got to break in here real quick. There's a really great interview with Artemis Pyle on the Skinnered Reconsidered podcast. Um, very touching, emotional uh, interview with Artemis. Uh, I go check that out at Skinnered Reconsidered. But back to the song notes. One of several songs where Van Zant voices his disdain for city life, specifically concrete. Features a repetitive guitar riff by Alan Collins in the K of A, said to be inspired by Jerry Reed's song Amos Moses. The drum pattern is subtle but insistent. See? No concrete. Ronnie is very anti-concrete. So yeah, again, let me let me reiterate my uh, my uh, what's the word for it? My um, plug for the Skinner Reconsidered uh, podcast interview with Artemis Pyle. Very informative, um, you know. So anyway, I, stuff that I'd learned that that I'd never known, and as much as I listened to the Skinner Reconsidered podcast and read about Skinner and. I mean, some of it I might have known and forgotten, but you know, it was you know a lot of good information on there if you're a, if you're a Skinner fan. All right, I'm gonna go straight to. I'm not gonna do any covers today. I'm gonna go straight to my uh, verdicts, and I'm going to give "I'm a Country Boy" my five. It's my my 25th favorite Skinner song. If you've ever lived in the country and loved living there, this is straight truth in, in a musical IV. The uh, combined effect of the guitar riff, Artemis's start and stop drum pattern, and Ronnie's swaggering lyrics is it wants a warning to leave the country alone if you have a mind to change it, and an invitation to come on down if you're willing to take it as it is. I'm going to give uh, Cherry Bomb my my four points, so that makes it second place for those of you who don't know how this works. Uh, as nostalgic as it is for Mellencamp, it's just as nostalgic for me. I was a senior in high school when it came out, and it played on heavy rotation on MTV during the school day. Now, why would I be... How would I know that? It's weird. We would take long... Oh, here it is. We would take long lunches of Juanita's meat, rice, and cheese burritos at my buddy Jason's house, who lives in Finland now. Hello, Jason. Um, and he just retired from playing football. He's 54 years old like myself, and he just retired from playing American tackle football. Anyway, we would go to Jason's house, eat burritos, and this song would always be on. My friends might have gotten tired of it, but I did not. It's 13th on my list of greatest Mellencamp songs. Uh, Coming in at third place, also getting three points, is Hand of Doom by Black Sabbath. I don't have any specific memories of... Listening to this track, I know I did, uh, but it definitely sounds like uh, the year I was born. It sounds like 1970. Um, and at the same time, it's at least 10 years ahead. Uh, coming out of the break into the up-tempo section is like jumping into a DeLorean and punching in 1980. Iomi Solo, however, slams the brakes. Then we go back to Vietnam. It's my 18th favorite Sabbath tune. Uh, coming in second to last, Don't Go Breaking My Heart, Elton John, two points. 
Most people today think of the video age of music as something ushered in by MTV in 1981, but my interaction with this Elton John song was the video that he and Kiki D shot in 1976. I'm pretty sure we were at my Aunt Vivian's house watching Mid-South Wrestling and the Von Erich Brothers. No, they weren't uh, doing their thing yet in 76, I don't think. Um, but for some reason, this video came on. I remember really liking the song, but agreeing with my relatives that it was a little odd when at one point Elton kisses the pocket on Kiki D's overalls. Strange. All right, and then last place with one point. Um, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, Don't Go Bringing Heart. My Heart is my number nine all time on the Elton John list. All right, so like I said, coming in last with one point, someone I used to know, Zach Brown. As good as the song is, it's a bit too modern for me. Uh, Zach Brown is a is a Sigma maverick and does what he wants. I like that in an artist, as long as the songs are good. This is a good song, good song, but it has a little bit of the modern elements that kind of drag it for me. Still, I rank it fifth on my Zach Brown list. All right, so. What we're going to do now is I'm going to give you a pretty much non-sound-designed version of, of my, my latest uh, short story called Regulus Pestis. And uh, there's a little bit of a, a connection to the, the little intro clip there from the other guys. Um, I didn't mean for these stories to, be, to become a non-linear, larger story, but that's what's happening because of the the nature of randomness and Randy Jenner and the way he works. By the way, he's he's been following me to work, to my actual job lately, which is kind of disconcerting, but uh, maybe I'll tell you about that another day. Um, but um, it's just it's just kind of working out that way. I don't, I'm not, uh, I don't consider myself anywhere near, um, I, I, obviously I'm not avant-garde. I'm not an artist, you know, in, in any sense of the word. Um but it seems like that's that's a thing that I heard about years ago, nonlinear storytelling, and it just smacked of pretentiousness. And I don't, I'm not meaning to do that. <laughs> okay, it's just, it's just the way it's happening. And I don't know if it turns into something good. It does. If not, it doesn't. But uh, this latest story is kind of, you know, the things are going back and forth. You know, the last two stories we did were. Uh, the franchise part one and two. I have part three uh, partially finished, um, so that'll probably be the next uh, the next short story we do. But this one is a little interlude, um, having to do with the songs. I mean, the songs are what's, what drove the story, you know. So you'll see how that goes. And then after after our good friend Jeff Mus Musgrave reads uh, Regulus Pestis, the next story. Um, we're going to play you out with a song called Eternal Decision. I'm sorry, a song called Imminent Destruction. Okay, it, it fits the theme of the of the uh, story. Uh, by a, a, a very kind of obscure Christian metal band called Eternal Decision that I think you'll like. If you like metal, if you like, you know, Metallica, Black Sabbath, you know, Megadeth, uh, you'll, you, I think you'll like Eternal Decision. So, all right, everybody. That's me. I am out of here, and here comes Jeff. Regula Pestis by Chris Naren. Clovis Simpson pulled a black pouch from his coat pocket and opened it in front of his two dinner companions. It consisted of a cigarette lighter, 
a small grater, and several tiny bottles of liquor. After all three were served their entrees, Clovis went to work, turning the overpriced haute cuisine into slap-your-mama-good-eating. And, as usual, the head chef was so offended, the evening ended in a physical altercation for which Clovis was more than prepared. Ian Martin, a giant in the pharmaceutical industry, was impressed by Clovis on all fronts and asked Clovis to be his personal chef. Clovis had migrated from southern Georgia to become a chef after more than a decade of military service, so he accepted. I've got your heart in my sight, Ian Martin announced as he raised a glass of Old Rip, and third time is a charm. The room erupted in laughter and applause. Ian's speech kicked off an indefinite party, one that could last for years as far as anyone knew. It was his company's third attempt at creating a deadly worldwide pandemic. The first was a dud medically, even though it was a massive political and sociological success. The second was an embarrassing debacle because it failed to account for the changes people made in their lifestyles due to the first one. But the third? It produced a bacterial infection in the lungs that rapidly spread to the heart. No treatment was possible outside a proprietary antibiotic. It was the end of the world and the beginning of Regula Pestis, rule of the plague. Wealthy elites all over the world rejoiced in their final victory over rule of law, tradition, and puritanical morality. No one with enough money and connections ever had to worry about consequences ever again. Ian Martin's friends in New York City and all other major cities in the world spent the decade following Pandemic 1 buying up depressed commercial properties and turning them into unassailable fortresses. High-rises like the Golden Calf in Hell's Kitchen were gutted and retrofitted with Shikara 1000 nuclear reactors for power. The first 10 floors were converted into fish hatcheries, hydroponic gardens, and security barracks. The top 30 to 50 floors, depending on the building, became luxury apartments and penthouses for Ian's executive class. Dozens of other buildings all over the world were outfitted similarly with dozens more less extravagant structures to house workers. The rooftops rivaled the hanging gardens of Babylon with helipads to allow the elect to visit one another. One particular night, several weeks into the third pandemic, half of the world was dead. No one knew for sure. Ian was gloriously drunk. He had not had much time for revelry as a CEO and evil mastermind, but he was hitting his stride now. He called Clovis up to the rooftop bar to discuss the evening's menu, and, as some say, in vino veritas. But in this case, it was more like in cupum multa est veritas nemis, which roughly translates to whiskey mouth. Do you know why we used napalm in Vietnam? Ian asked, swerving to the music piped in constantly, whether anyone wanted it or not to burn away the jungle so we could find the enemy. He leaned in with a hand holding yet another glass of rare bourbon, poking Clovis in the chest. The plague is our napalm. And with that, Ian folded like a dirty shirt. Servants quickly rushed him to his IV room to put him back together in time for the night's festivities. Failure to keep him in fighting shape for the night had seen many a servant tossed to their death. Later that night, Ian was again in rare form and let it slip within Clovis's hearing 
that the virus had been released from Wuhan, China, just like the first two. Clovis knew that this time a nuclear strike was likely on the table. He had been planning an Irish goodbye at some point, just getting out without anyone knowing, but he couldn't leave the rest of his servant class to their fate. Ian had tried to create classes within his servants, hoping what little privileges he afforded Clovis and others like him would engender some loyalty, but each tossing from the roof quickly eroded any of that. From what he'd seen on the lower levels, Clovis deduced that Ian planned to eventually clear the city streets and open up corridors within and out of the city. There was heavy equipment for any necessity and enough explosives to double the subway mileage. Clovis called upon his guerrilla chef and military training, got his people out, and blew the golden calf to Valhalla. As he and close to a hundred of his fellow servants rolled down Park Avenue on their way back to his home state of Georgia, Clovis saw explosions all over the city, none as big as his. Though.